to the book of Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Ecclesiastes means the preacher. And whether or not Solomon wrote it is really immaterial to the point that it's making about God. And there's a lot in there that isn't stuff to follow. It's stuff to realize. It's stuff to realize that I say Solomon had everything going for him and he tried everything and still realized without God it is just chasing the wind, as it were. But if you would stand for the reading of the word, the book of Ecclesiastes When the preacher is about to preach, Jesus, preach through me, verses, chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, and we'll call today's message, Ghost in the Glass. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Father, through this word, by your spirit, in the name of Jesus, let us see how dark sin really is, how pervasive it really is, how powerful it really is, that we might see the light of the gospel and how wonderful incredible, merciful, and graceful it really is. Lord, that we might know the measure of your love. We must be brought down to know the depths of our depravity so that we can look up and see the heights of your love and know that measure. Help us this day, Lord. And not only for conversion and conviction, but also to glory in your grace and to grow in your grace, that those things that we could not tackle, we could not defeat, we have no power against, you easily took care of all that. And now, having received that, we live as you would have us, to follow you as an act of worship. Help us worship you today through your word, in the power of your spirit, to the glory of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, and you may be seated. What a strange title, Ghost in the Glass. Let me start by saying you've probably heard that idea. People say, is the glass half full or half empty? Okay? So you can think of that as we show you how this text and this idea fits with that. But let me say this, ghosts are real. Now, will that arrest your attention? Ghosts are real. But I'm not talking about apparitions or paranormal activity. I'm talking about something that's very normal, abundantly sinful, especially harmful, but not so easily detectable. I'm talking about a particular ghost, and most everyone believes that this ghost is real. People talk about it all the time, about other people. But almost everyone denies that this ghost is real when it is lurking in their own life. And what is this ghost that I speak of? It is the ghost. We saw it in our text, and we'll get to our text. It's the ghost of envy. Envy is a sinful reaction to lacking something, especially when it's something enjoyed by someone else. 
Envy is a powerful, destructive sin. And I say envy is a ghost because while the results of envy, envy can be apparent, it, envy itself can be almost invisible. People don't know that it's envy making the impact. They think it's something else. They think it's someone else. They are being affected by it, but they don't even realize that it's envy causing those consequences. You know something's there, but you don't know what it is. You can be experiencing envy, and it's stealing your joy, crushing your peace, and creating an increasing discontent, and it might be destroying you, and yet you might not even know that envy is the problem. This is what envy looks like. You're seeing your world as a half-empty glass, and you're always lacking your desires. You're not getting what you want, and anything you do get is colored by it. Yeah, but I don't have this other thing. Yeah, I, I want all this money, but the, think of all the taxes I got to pay. Well, you gave me this new car, but someone else got a better car. Right? It's as if envy is eating away at you, and no matter how full you get, you're still half empty. It just keeps draining and draining and draining and draining. And when you look at what others may have, instead of being happy for them, you think, they've got it better than me. And some of the words that I hate most in this life, must be nice. Yes, it must be nice. Oh, that's not got anybody there. It's like you're sad that someone else is blessed. Envy breeds frustration in your life, in your work, in your family, in your church, with your God. Like a ghost, envy turns you into a chronic complainer. Even when your situation is better than someone else's, all you see is what they have that you don't. It might be something material, something relational, positional, whatever. You don't control it. You can't change it. You don't like it, and it makes you burn. Oh, yes, it'll make you burn all right. So what happens? You get overly critical, nitpicking, hair-splitting, discontent and disagreeable. You grumble, complain, murmur, covet, spite, snark, and scheme. Envy's gone to seed. Now nothing is good enough, and your list of people keeps growing. You ever had someone like that? And just, just everything they used to do things, and you thought they were cute. Now they're just annoying. Now anything they do is just not good enough. Anything they do is colored with. Well, if I would have, well, then you go ahead and do it, brother, sister. And see how, how much you know? How many dead bodies you got behind you? That list keeps growing. This has never happened to anybody. Again, it's a ghost. Let's just say it this way. Envy makes you miserable. Envy makes you miserable. As Proverbs 14.30 says, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. It makes you think others are to blame, and you're actually blaming God. Envy's everywhere. You see it in the movies, on TV, in the newspaper, magazines, online. You experience it with social media, with their carefully curated everybody's smiling everybody's happy and there's one of this kind of person one of this kind of person oh hey you know you can envy when you're on a desert island you can envy you can have everything in envy and we're going to show that this thing gets down to the core of our being again you experience in social media at school in the workplace in your family even amongst friends and even in the church oh yes Maybe especially in the church. Well, they've got the gospel, but they also have a million dollars. Whatever it may be. Yeah. Once we see it, little Stella, that's what happens. We laugh. When we really understand how it is, you're like, this is 
trivial. But man, we make it terrible. And yet, for the most part, it's invisible to most people like a ghost. Envy can start small and grow. It starts like you wish you had what they had or you got to do what they got to do. But it turns into you feeling like you're always missing out. Can you hear me? Did you just see the link that I made? You wonder how you got there. This is how. Like you're unappreciated, unnoticed, unwanted by others and even by God. Envy can trigger unhealthy feelings and intensely sinful emotions. Envy can steal your, now listen, envy can steal your goodness, your kindness, your empathy, your generosity, your love, and turn it into anger, bitterness, contempt, hatred, malice, resentment, or even result in violence. Part of being saved is being delivered from the chains of envy. Titus 3.3 says that before we were saved, we lived a life of malicious envy. 1 Peter 2.1 tells Christians to get rid of the envy in their lives. Galatians 5.21 tells you that if envy characterizes your life, you are not going to heaven. Now, do you hear? 1 Corinthians 13.4. Everybody loves 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? 1 Corinthians 13.4 says that love does not envy. But, 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 hold on. Envy opposes love. Love says, I'm happy when you're happy, and I'm sad when you're sad. Envy says, I'm sad when you're happy, and I'm happy when you're sad. Envy can degrade and steal anything and everything that is good in your life. Envy can rob and ruin you. It is that powerful and destructive and pervasive. But envy can blind you to its presence like a ghost. You only see that half-empty glass. But you know what? That glass is actually full because the other half of that glass is full of envy. It's pushing you down. It's draining your life. You feel like you're never having enough, like you have less than half, and it's all wasting away. Some of you would say, I, I, mean, I wish I even had half. Like you have less than half, and it's all wasting away. Someone always has it better than you. You're never content. You can't enjoy God's good graces. You only focus on God's hard providences. There's always something you're missing. Envy convinces you that you just want to be living up to your potential. You might have to think about that for a second. Envy convinces you you're just trying to be a good provider. You're just trying to fulfill God's will for your life. But the truth is, envy is eating you up. And its appetite is never satisfied. Even when it gets what it wants, envy always wants more. And now to our text. Ecclesiastes 4, 4 through 6. Let me read it again. When he says, then I saw that all toil and all skill, he's not saying that this is everything that there is in life and I'm making a pronouncement. He's saying, I was looking around and I saw how pervasive this is. Then I saw that all toil, because remember, he's going from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing and finding that there's nothing that satisfies without God. But with God, you can be satisfied in all the ups, downs, and all arounds of life because you're satisfied with God, not with situation. Then I saw that all the toil and all the skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. Ooh. This is also vanity and striving or chasing after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. 
Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. The preacher is describing what we call, and I think they still call it these days, the rat race. He says that many achievements are fueled by our envy, and they drive others to envy. People think that their work... Let me say it slow. People think that their work will prove them, validate them, and satisfy them. They envy others who seem to make it so. But that's the power of envy. That ghost is doing its work too. You envy those who seem to have a better life than you, have it better than you, but you're blind to what's really going on in their life, what they may be going through. And you're blind as to what's happening to you. Work has its rightful place. Work is good. Before the fall in the garden, there was work. Work has its rightful place, and we should strive to work well. It has value. As Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So work has value. But the preacher says that using your work as your ultimate good, your standard of measuring yourself, is vanity. Serving yourself won't satisfy your soul like serving the Lord. The opposite is someone, you see it there in verse 5, who refuses to work well. They fold their hands. You know, they're taking it easy, and they come to ruin. They ruin themselves. So one wrong way is striving fueled by envy. And another wrong way of work is laziness and fear. The right way is to cease your excessive striving. Do good work, but stop the envy. Well, how? We're going to get there. But you don't need two hands full if they're also filled with the neediness, uh, this toil and this chasing the wind, right? When one of your hands is just full of garbage, Oh, my. It's better to have one hand full and have contentment and peace rather than both hands full with fretting and frustration. Think about that again. You're running and you're doing. and you're ha- Again, I quote my friend Sammy Hagar, working so hard to make it easy. Got to turn this thing around. Proverbs 15, verse 16 and 17 says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. These people that are grifters and things like that, and they, they pull one over on somebody, and they have, to rent, they have to spend the rest of their life looking over their shoulder like they're going to get caught. Ooh, look, we can squat here for free. Do you hear me? I'm cheating this, I'm cheating that, and you're all, the righteous are as bold as a lion, and the wicked run when no one's even chasing. And he's saying, you're doing all this to make this thing happen. I'm going to rob this place, rob that place, and you're robbing yourself of God's grace. Hmm. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Proverbs 17.1 says, better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. You know these verses. 1 Timothy 6, 8 through 10 says, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, in other words, money is running their life. You have to have money, brother. Yes, I know. We ask for it every week, don't we? Actually, we don't. You just bring it up. 
But those who desire, their desire, their passion, their fire is to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless, think, senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. The love of money is not the root of all evil. But it might as well be. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many pangs. How about the other side of it? 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 says, As for the rich in this present age, see, you can be rich and godly, hallelujah, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Amen. They're to do good. Be rich in good works and be generous and ready to share. There's a clue. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You say, well, I don't want to become a Christian because then you've got to do all this stuff. And people say, no, 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 it's a, it's a relationship, not a religion. It's a religion. It is a relationship. And yes, you got to do stuff this way and not do stuff that way. I'm not backing off from that. I'm saying that as you see the beauty of God, you want to do it. Well, I don't want to clean the house, but the president's coming over. I'd like to clean the house, please. I don't want to take that new drug, but then it means I can eat potatoes. Hello. Ding, ding. It, everybody's motivated. It's what motivates you. You're thinking, I'm just not motivated by Jesus because you haven't really seen him. You've seen what people have said about him. So I get that. But we can envy unbelievers and how they live their lives, ignorant of God, in defiance of God. And even saved people do that. We're saved people, but we remain sinful people. We're not yet perfected. Our old way is still within, wanting what it wants, and we can envy the lifestyle of unbelievers and the very acts and deeds that will assure their everlasting torment. Solomon knew this. Proverbs 24, 1 says, Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. And he goes on and on, and then he reminds us at the end of there, in Proverbs 24, 19 through 20, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of the wicked. Someone else always gets it better, it'll catch up. Be sure your sin will find you out. Just fret not because of evildoers. Be not envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be Put out. Let's just run through the Bible here. Envy makes people do evil things. Isaac become Abraham Isaac. He became very wealthy. And the Philistines did what? They stopped up all his wells because they envied him. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery because they envied him. Hmm. <laughs> when Korah rebelled against Moses. He said, Moses, you're full of pride. You're exalting yourself above all the people. It was because of envy. He tried to hide it, and we're all holy. Yeah. Then let one of those other holy people say something. Now, maybe this one will help you. When the prophet Nathan confronted King David about Bathsheba and all these great sins, he told a story that described David's envy. Remember that? Man had all these sheep, and there was just one little lamb, and he had to go after that. David had everything he needed, more than anyone else. But envy made him covet what wasn't rightfully his. We think, why did we covet envy? 
and it dragged him into abusing his authority, adultery, lying, pretense, possibly rape, and even murder. You see, envy can turn you into another person. David didn't see the ghost, but Nathan said, it's you. Thou art the man. When the prodigal son returned home and his father celebrated, the prodigal's older brother was burning with envy. Matthew 27, 18 says that Pontius Pilate knew that the Jewish leaders wanted Jesus dead because of their envy. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Are you with me? Now, I'm going to do this slow, and I want you to hear this because you might, you might hear something you've never heard before. You could have read the story of Adam and Eve a thousand times. Let's go back to the beginning. Adam and Eve coveted the forbidden fruit. Why? Because the serpent planted the seed of envy. They had everything. But Satan said that God was holding back the best from them. How would he know? He said, I've got something you need. I've tasted of that tree. And you may be in paradise, but you're not God. You don't know what it's like, but I do. So can you. When he was saying you can be like God, he was saying you can be like me. Why would they even believe that unless they thought, unless they saw they were envious? Oh, my. Can you hear that? That's the ghost. That's where it started. Adam and Eve had all they could ever want with no worries. But envy whispers like a snake, like a ghost. Envy says there's always something more, something you need, something you deserve, something someone else has, something someone else is trying to keep from you. Now hear this. Now hear this. Envy turned the Garden of Eden into the birthplace of death. There's nothing. There's no paradise that envy can't turn into perdition. Again, the Garden of Eden, the birthplace of death. Why? Envy. Envy turns things into hell because that ghost will tell you that no matter how good you have it, you aren't God, and so you don't have enough. Now, here's the thing. People don't believe that. But the desire for autonomy apart from God is the essence of sin. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. That's what affects the whole human race. And envy blinds people. So most people don't actually believe that they want to be God, but they do. They don't feel like that. But that's the invisible power. That's the ghost of envy. That's the deceitfulness, the deception, the Bible says, of sin itself. Envy has infected every soul in the history of the human race except for one. Jesus, he paid the price for your sin, your envy, your desire to be your own God. I don't, you just proved the point. No one else can defeat envy completely, but Jesus did. Not so that you can, but because you can't. We've all had the problem since the Garden of Eden, but envy was broken at the cross of Christ. The penalty for your sin has been paid. Repent, turn from your sin, and turn to God. Jesus lived a life without envy so that he would die for yours. Jesus didn't envy anyone. 
And he's not calling you to envy him. He's calling you to put your faith in him. You can hear this and think, well, I'll just do this, that, and the other. And we're going to talk about a little remedy here. But you cannot beat envy. You're being a damned by God fool if you think you can. You cannot fulfill the law of God. You must submit to the gospel of Christ. You can't beat envy. But Jesus can. If you're saved by Jesus, he has paid the penalty for your envy. Be grateful for the gospel. And even though you can't completely rid yourself of envy, if you are saved, you can begin ridding your life of envy by seeding the power of the gospel into your daily life. How? We just said it a minute ago. With gratitude. Gratitude is the ghost killer. Envy only focuses on the glass is half empty. And gratitude can see if the glass is half empty. It's it's not denying the truth. It's not saying, well, the glass is only half full or whatever, but it doesn't worry about that because gratitude isn't like a glass that's being drained or anything like this. This is gratitude is like a glass flowing in a river. It's surrounded by all the water it needs. Even when it's spilled, it's still being filled. You see, we're seeing things the wrong way. Envy sees life as a limited source. There's not enough. I've got to get mine. And it keeps, it keeps spilling. What am I going to do? Oh, I never have enough. I'm thirsty. That's what envy's like. A spoiled little kid. Envy sees life as a limited source. But gratitude sees grace as its source. Again. Just floating along, in and out, splashing around, not with a care in the world because it's got what he needs. It's all around. It can share. Why wouldn't it? Got more than you need. God can make your life feel full even with a little. Envy can make your life feel empty even with a lot. Envy not, now listen. I know, but my feelings. Envy not only sees the glass as half empty, it actually feels the glass being half empty, being emptied. It feels the glass being half empty because it is always getting drained. It looks everywhere else, sees what it doesn't have, and what it does have gets even smaller. It sees what is going on in life, and its glass is being emptied. So now it has to strive even harder, striving as Solomon said. After the wind, toil, toil and trouble. (laughs) It's like a witch. It's like a ghost. It is pushing you down and draining you. But gratitude actually feels also the half fullness because gratitude is always getting filled. Even when it's spilled, it's still getting filled. Which way do you want to live? Humbly grateful or grumbly hateful? Feeling like you're always getting drained or feeling like you're always getting filled? I know what the answer is, but what are you going to do about it? First, you've got to be grateful for the gospel. If you don't even know Jesus Christ, that's the hole in your soul. That's what you're missing. It doesn't matter what anybody else is saying about that. You must experience it for yourself. You can't just know it in your head. You have to experience it in your life. Gratitude. 
Focus your attention on the blessings in your life. Sing, count your blessings. Sing, count your blessings. Think about it often. Think about your salvation, your forgiveness, and your eternal inheritance. Think about living for God's glory and the rewards God offers if you will suffer well instead of envy and complaint and discontent. Do your best. Go for what you can, amen, but change your perspective. Instead of seeing the lives of others and wishing you had more or better, look at what God has given you. Thank God for that and try and steward that well. You see, it's not what you have or don't have. It's what you do with what you have or don't have that God matters most to God. Be grateful for the gospel. Stop comparing yourself to others and saying, yes, but they are saved and they also have this. Well, then they don't have the same opportunity you do to give God glory by having less, which means the first will be last. Ladies, I'm speaking to you. Think very clearly about being in submission. Think about what Jesus says and do the math. Because in heaven, he does say some people will have this, some people will have that. Everybody will be a full glass. Everybody will be swimming along full and happy and perfectly. But I want a 55-gallon drum, not a thimble. You say, oh, that's wrong. That's not. Are you sure? (laughs) Does Jesus talk about this way more than once? Now, you might feel like your life is completely empty. First of all, get Jesus. But sometimes you're super lonely. Things are happening over and over and over again, and it's horrible. And you have rocks and ashes, and that's terrible. Yeah. You might feel like your glass is not even half full. It doesn't even have rocks in it. It's got nothing. I don't even have a glass. It got smashed. You may be indeed going through extraordinarily hard times. God is still God. God is still good. God is still working. You may be rightly full of lament. Not complaint, lament. You may wonder, why me? But you can still be killing that ghost with gratitude. Oh, yes. This is the message of your life. This is the message of every life. The whole world might see your glasses empty. You ever seen, you ever thought about Johnny Erickson Tata? She paints with her mouth. She puts that thing in there and goes like this. And she said recently it's, it's getting worse. You know, she, she can't move anything except her head. She was going to be an Olympic diver. Now it's been... 50, more than that, getting getting on 60 or whatever. She sure seems happy. Well, she got a big ministry and all this other stuff, and I got nothing. You have even more opportunity. The whole world might see your glass as empty. You could look at someone losing their mind and they have to now be in a place, and you said, How could the gospel be true? But rather, when you know God, you say, how can the gospel not be true? Those worst things, children getting harmed, tornadoes, all the pain in the world. (laughs) When your eyes are actually open to God, and maybe you have been, but maybe you need to reopen, open the eyes of our heart, Lord. 
all the suffering in the world is not proof that there isn't God. It's proof that there is. Again, the whole world might see your glass as empty, but you can still be traveling down the river of God's grace, giving him glory instead of wallowing in envy. It's called your testimony, your witness of God's worth. You've got a billion, I've got nothing. But I've got the entire universe. And everything you have is going to fade away. And if you've got the billion and you have Jesus, you'll be generous. You'll be helping kingdom work, et cetera, et cetera, and saying, this isn't what matters. Jesus is. As Jesus himself said in John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You say, well, I do believe, but I don't feel that. Faith, my friend, go back to that. Maybe just even read that. And say, Lord, help me. The Holy Spirit can make you grateful. And you can get the ghost of envy out of your glass. As you're always being filled by God's love being poured into us. Romans 5, 1 through 5 talks about that very thing. Now that we've been justified by grace, we have peace with God. But more than that, we have peace even though troubles come to us. Because hope does not make us ashamed. Because the Holy Spirit's always being poured into us. Don't you want to get rid of that ghost? Everybody's being filled and getting rid because actually there's always a ghost in your glass. It's either the ghost of envy keeping your glass half empty as it drains your life or it's the Holy Ghost of God filling your life with joy and peace in believing. Which do you want? Life draining envy against God or life giving energy from God? Heavenly Father, sin is so bad and you are so good. We are so weak and you are so strong. You give us these standards that we cannot meet so that we would see Jesus who has met them. And now, repenting of trying to do it our way, turning to accepting and following your way, We still won't do this perfectly, but we can do it purposefully as you empower us to show us that our lives can begin to change so that we would believe even more of how they are going to be fully when you return. As acts of worship for your glory, even so, we say, come, Lord Jesus, in your name we pray, amen.